Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. If you're looking for something different to do this weekend, might I suggest some comedy? I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. I use the uh, the word partner a lot, which sometimes can confuse people, like especially when you have a conversation with somebody you don't really know. And at some point during that conversation, I can figure out that they just figured out that I'm not gay and my partner is a woman and the disappointment on their liberal faces when they figure it out. Because they, they thought they were hearing a story about an interracial gay couple raising a child in Brooklyn. Oh, this is like an NPR story. This is great. This is great. That's Hurry Kondabolu performing his new comedy special, Vacation Baby. He's here in Chicago on tour and has a couple of shows at the Den Theater this week. And he made time to drop in to tell us all about it. Hi, Hurry. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. So you made a little dig there at NPR. <laughs> but, you know, I want to set the record straight. You are an NPR regular. Yeah. And you love public radio, right? I love public radio. Wink, wink. Yes, I love public radio. You can send your money to WBEZ. It's not the pledge drive now, is no, it? No, no, not this week. Next uh, week. Next, next week, week, of course, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and this isn't, of course, your first rodeo with WBEZ either. You are uh, a frequent guest on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yes. Uh, you were recently featured on WBEZ's Shoes Off, a sexy Asian yes. podcast, which was super cool. What was it like to be invited, you know, into the unofficial sexy Asians club? Uh, I mean, I've had membership for years, but it was so it was nice to, to finally have a podcast to get that out there. You know, it, it's always nice to be like considered for things like that, where yeah. you're having a really thoughtful conversation about being Asian American. Because I'm still of that wave where that was not possible 20 years ago. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I was uh, of the generation that didn't have like that many media figures and the idea that there's a whole podcast dedicated to it. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you were, you were alongside the likes of Lisa Ling yeah. and um, actor John Cho and, and, and several others. So that's a pretty cool platform. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm, you know, they're, they're privileged to be in the list with me. <laughs> exactly. Is what I'm telling myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Chicago, right, which is you're, you're here in town this weekend and this city holds a lot of comedy history. We yes. know this, right? It's a place where many comedians got their start. They built their foundation. Uh, it's also a city that you have performed in throughout your career. So how would you say performing in Chicago compares to the other cities that you've you've been to? Really smart comedy fans because they've seen many different types of comedy, whether it's improv or sketch or stand-up. And they get really quality performers, really smart performers um, it's not like L.A. where you're trying to get on a TV show and it's not like New York, which New York, I think, uh, can leave people jaded. Audiences can be a little jaded because mm. there's just so much. And, you know, you know, a lot of the shows are not good because it's open mics and there's so many people trying. Chicago, I think, really gives you the best. And and you see it from who's come out of this city over the last decade in, in all forms of comedy. But. You know, whether it's like Hannibal Buress and Kyle Kinane or Jenna Friedman or Kumail Nanjiani, like the the list really goes on forever. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, we heard a little bit of your, your new comedy special, Vacation Baby, at the top there. Let's hear a bit more. 
me and my partner have had very different experiences being parents, and it was clear it was going to be different from day one. I remember she was holding the baby in her arms, and she was crying, and she looked at the baby, and then she looked at me, and she said, this is the greatest thing I've ever created. And I think she wanted me to say me too, but the thing is, I have a Netflix special, and it's so good, like from beginning to end. Joke, 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 wonderful the whole way through. And I just met this kid, you know what I mean? The jury is out. (laughs) That's hilarious. Thanks. (laughs) The Netflix special you're talking about there is is Warn Your Relatives, which is super funny. But in Vacation Baby, you talk a lot about that, about becoming a new dad, right? How has fatherhood changed you, you think? I mean, I'm I'm definitely very apologetic to my parents, certainly, <laughs> and I think about how You're hard. Like, oh, that's what they were talking about. Well, all it's I think it's easy for all of us to blame our parents for something they did or did not do in our youth, like. You know, how come you didn't join me in Little League earlier? I could have been athletic. How come you didn't put me in therapy when I was in high school? Like, there's yeah. all these different things. I'm like, because they didn't know anything about baseball and they didn't really know what therapy was, you know, mm-hmm. as immigrants from another place where that wasn't a thing. So, you know, I think how hard it is to have one kid and they had two kids as people who were also discovering the country. You know, they're Indian people raising American kids, and that is not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely that's one thing I've gotten out of this experience. In addition to I did not know. And I know this is probably a hackneyed statement that my heart had as much love as it has in it. Uh, I feel uh-huh. like I am still fairly cynical, but the kid forces you to have hope because you brought something into a world that is very complicated and scary and dangerous and the only way to really live with that is knowing it's going to get better because you have to make it better and I feel like that is certainly it has given me a degree of hope yeah for for him for you know that that's I love that it's a huge it's huge and I know I and I realize like a lot of parents probably have the exact same experience the need to work harder and make things better because uh, they have children, but I, but you, I fall you in line. don't understand that journey until you cross that no. finish line. No, right? You even as a non-parent, you heard other parents saying, sure, you know, similar sentiments. I'm sure, but I'm, until it's your life, right? Until you've actually taken that step. Oh yeah, it's 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 a very, you know, it just feels like oh, it's cliche that everyone says, and then you're like. Sometimes cliches are there because, you know, it doesn't mean that the actual experience isn't life changing. Like tripping on acid can be seen as cliched, but people are still doing it and having very different experiences. So I think the same thing. I'm comparing drug use and having a child. And honestly, I don't think it's a terrible comparison. Time to switch gears, shall we? So you're known for your your sharp observations of, of politics race, other social issues. Uh, You often tackle stereotypes about Indian people. I'm Canadian, Hari, Mm. and in some ways you kind of remind me of uh, Russell Peters out of Toronto. Some of his best jokes that we know over the years are about the ones about him being raised by immigrant parents. But you two have very different approaches in how you tell the stories. So I want you to talk about that. Describe the differences. You know, I I really love Russell, and I think he's a pioneering figure. Um, You know, he was the first comedian I ever saw who was of South Asian descent who made it. You know, even though he was in Canada and we grew up here, like, just like internet, and you're watching 
these clips of this human, it just made you think, oh, this was possible. He and was huge. He was huge. And he's huge all over the world. You know, America, he's notable. But around the world, like, he basically spurred stand-up scenes all over the world because he played there and it was really popular. I mean, we're different in, in that I think, you know— I, I don't really do accents of my parents, mm-hmm. partly because, you know, I always worry about how that's going to be taken. Are you laughing at the joke or laughing at them and what you think they're like? Also, I don't do accents well, so why would I even do that, right? Um, and also, you know, I try to make, particularly with my mom, make her jokes knowing. Like, I want I want her to be the one who's making the quip. I don't want the laugh to be at her expense. Uh-huh. And that's not all the time. Certainly on this special, I... The names that she suggests, you know, like Girader for my child, like you think Girader is going to be something that he can survive with in this country. Um, But, you know, generally speaking, though, I want her to be in the position of power. And maybe that's a difference just because I feel like they already don't have a voice. They don't need their son going on stage and minimizing them even more. Yeah. You're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are talking with comedian Hurry Kondabolu. He's in town for a couple of shows at Chicago's Den Theater this weekend. So comedy, I want to touch on the fact that that's not the only world you're a part of. You also are involved in film, uh, a new documentary that you're the executive producer of. It just premiered on PBS yes. and World Channel. Congratulations yes. on that. Thank you very much. Let's listen to a little bit of it. Who's American and what is America? America is not just blonde hair and blue eyes. When somebody asks you, where are you from? You're just like, wait, what does that mean? So that's one of the artists and activists that the documentary is following. Yeah. How many times have you been asked that question? Where what, are you from? You know what? It, it's, it's nice that I haven't heard it in a while now. How do you respond? When I do hear it, you know, I'll, I'll say Queens, New York, and it depends on who's asking. Like, there are times where growing up in Queens, New York, when people ask, where are you from? I wasn't insulted by it because everybody was from somewhere. Even white people who would ask me, where are you from? I'd ask them where they were from, and they wouldn't say they were just white. They would give me a fraction of some sort, or they would say Ireland. I've never been there, but like three generations or whatever. Like, there's always a connection. When I leave New York and I get asked that question, it's clear that I'm being othered, right? It's like... Queens, no, where are you really from? It's like, okay, all right, I get it. You want to know the whole immigration backstory. But when I ask you, you're going to tell me some town outside of Boston? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's the part where you realize that you're not being seen as, as an American, which is part of the reason why, like, this film meant so much to me and why I wanted to come on as an executive producer. It's really that search for identity and respect. And, you know, you're dealing with it's two countries, the U.S. and Germany. You have people who are you know, refugees, Roma, undocumented. Mm-hmm. There's a Sikh American who's other just by wearing a, a turban and his experience, my friend Sonny. You know, Christina Antonakis Wallace worked on this film for over a decade. Wow. So these stories, like, you see them at different stages of their life and you and you see, you know, the different conditions in those countries as the far right takes more control in, in, in those countries, how immigrants are scapegoated and how that affects their lives personally. So, yeah. you know, why do you want to be a part of the project? I mean, I saw the film. It was a complete film. And I'm thinking to myself, why isn't this out already? You know, it, it's incredibly relevant. And I think the context of immigration being a global issue is really important. We talk about it, you know, in these isolated ways, but it's a global issue and will continue to be one, especially with climate change and the idea of climate refugees. So 
you know, we need to come to terms with this is the world. There's always been movement. There's always been migration. And it's really important for us to 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 not only humanize, but to complicate who people mm-hmm. are. Hum, human Humanizing somebody is, is a bare minimum. You know, the idea of them being multi-layered and relatable mm-hmm. and connected to you and your community in some way. That's the part that I think this film does extremely well. I love that. It's also beautifully shot. Yes. It looks good. Yes. It looks it's, really good. I, I'm really, I think Christina is a f- fabulous filmmaker and I'm so glad that she has this opportunity. So given what you just said, then what's the biggest takeaway that you want folks, if nothing else, what do you want them to walk away with after watching from here? I mean, I want them to feel a sense of hope, you know, because the thing is these the idea of being a refugee or being undocumented, the you know, the even on the left amongst liberals, it's like they're seen as victims. And in this film, you see people who are resisting, resisting through organizing, resisting through art, like resisting by working with young people in schools, like educating, like really in the fight. And, and I think that's important to see. These aren't people who are just you know, uh, affected by the world around them and just have to take it. And it's really, like, empowering to see that. You mentioned the word hope a few times in this conversation. Hope when you're talking about your child. Yeah. Hope when you're talking about this film. What else is keeping you hopeful? I mean, people like AOC, certainly. People who I I feel like would never have gotten a shot. I see a lot of the people that the Justice Democrats have pushed in recent years and— you know, it just it's weird to even say the Democrats because there's there's a, a a movement of of people of color and women and queer folks who are breaking through to mainstream American politics and that represent the kind of values I believe in. And, and those are those are things that I, I you wouldn't have seen yeah. m- not that long ago. And so that gives me a ton of hope, as well as talking to young people. There was a story in Florida where a teacher was brought to a school board because she showed a, a Disney film that had a gay character in it. So the existence of a gay person was seen as offensive and inappropriate. And at that school board hearing with a bunch of really bigoted people, you heard children from that school eloquently, articulately expressing why this hurts them and it hurts their friends and how the adults should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah. That gives me hope. And it's it's painful that this generation has to deal with that, but how articulate they were in expressing their frustration, the fact that they made the adults look like children, Mm -hmm. that gives me hope. That next generation is something else. absolutely. You studied comparative politics. You were an immigrant organizer for for a little while at one point. You got this master's in human rights. I went from one unlucrative thing to another unlucrative thing. And then this this pivot to comedy. How, How did that happen? I mean, I was doing comedy in Seattle, working at a, a nonprofit um, that was run by Pramila Jayapal, who's now a, a Congress a woman from Seattle and a, a friend of mine and a mentor. And I was working with victims of hate crimes, people being deported and detained. And I did comedy at night and the comedy took off like people were coming to my shows. And this was a time where there weren't really any South Asians in America in the public eye, especially in comedy, you know, and uh, it took off. And the next thing I know, I'm at a festival called HBO Comedy Festival. I'm on Jimmy Kimmel Live. I have work the next day. So I fly and I'm on TV, fly back, go to work. So comedy kind of came to me and uh, I embraced it because I knew that, you know, for whatever reason, people were interested. And it seemed like at least for this moment, I would be forced to be one of the first to broke through, which is not a comfortable position to be in. Yes. But I also knew pressure. 
Of course, because every word back, especially a decade, 15 years ago plus, it's like every word is um, is magnified because you're supposed to represent more people than yourself, which yeah. is incredibly unfair. And it's still there's a degree of that. But like now I see like, well, if you don't agree with me, well, here are 10 other opinions. And yeah. there's so many South Asians in the media, whether it's in news or in film or TV. I mean, it's a it's a different era. I want to touch on a documentary that you made of your own back in 2017 called The Problem with the Pooh. Yeah. And it examined Hollywood's portrayal of South Asians, uh, like uh, Indian Simpsons character Apu, who we know is voiced by comedian Hank Azaria, who is a white guy. Um, now, he declined to be a part of your documentary, but he did stop voicing the character just a couple years after uh, the doc came out. You two recently appeared together on NPR's Code Switch. It was that first public conversation right. about it. Here's a little bit of him talking about how the doc helped him realize the harm that the character caused. Some moment during all this, I read a little news blurb where a guy was attacked. It was actually a Middle Eastern guy who was attacked in his store and was called Apu uh-huh. while he was being attacked. There were certain key moments in that whole, is this real question journey I was on where I got the answer. You know, Apu had become a slur. Hearing Hank talk about that, did it feel like a full circle moment for you? I mean, in a way, because we definitely had met previously in private and talked about it. But for him to want to do a public conversation where we really dug deep. Um, yeah, it was. And it, and, it, and it still feels great thinking about it now because it's also the beginning of a friendship because this is a person who is really working towards analyzing his own privilege and power dynamics and is learning about racism, wants to be part of an anti-racist movement. So you're friends now. We're friends, yeah, which I'm I'm very, you know, appreciative of. I mean, one thing in the interview that was really important to me was he acknowledged the role that the film played in changing his thinking. Because for a long time, he would talk about how I don't think the voice uh, should be done by me anymore, South Asians should be in the room. He was saying all these great things. But it's almost as if he just magically came to this conclusion, right? Mm-hmm. And so often people of color are not given the the due that they deserve. Like, I'm the one who got the hundreds of thousands of death threats. I'm the one who had to get extra security at shows. You know, it, I think it was, wow. a, you know, I, I, I don't think he got a pass, but I certainly don't think it was nearly, you know, that hard compared to like, ah, this, I can't enjoy my life. Yeah. And so... You know, when he didn't mention the work I'd done, it was, initially I'm like, well, it's part of a larger movement. It's, you know, and then you start to think, well, no, because there's so many people of color who deserve the credit for the things they've written, the things they've performed, the things they've said, the things they've designed that get co-opted and taken. And we yeah. treat somebody else like a genius. And so I was appreciative that he finally publicly said that because, you know, it, it it's... It's still a, an annoying thing yeah. that I made this film about how I hated being associated with Apu. And as a result of it, I'm forever going to be associated with, with Apu. Apu. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can focus on the funny this weekend here in Chicago. You're yeah. performing live tonight yes. and tomorrow night at the Den Theater. Back-to-back shows. Yeah. We were just chatting before we went on air. You said four <laughs> shows in two days. Four shows in two days, which is which is standard practice and comedy clubs like you do an early and a late. And you got to keep your energy up. Oh, my God. I mean, when I was 25, it was one thing. But now it's like between shows, there's not enough time to nap. <laughs> I honestly need to build naps into the contract now. 
Um, but uh, it's still it's still a blast. And uh, you know, the late shows I get a bit more loopy, yeah. and in the early shows you see me at my sharpest. So you get two different experiences. Yeah, it'll all be amazing. I'm sure you can catch comedian Hurry Kondabolu at Chicago's Den Theater tonight and tomorrow. For tickets, visit thedentheater.com. That's theater ending with an R E, of course. Hurry, thank you so much for stopping by, and good thank luck you. with the shows. I appreciate it. This episode of Reset was produced by Stephanie Kim, and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Linnea Dominic. Interested in hearing about more great things to get up to in the city? Then you should make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. You'll get the big headlines in your inbox each morning with fun extras about what's happening across Chicago. Go to wbez.org slash reset news to sign up. That's a wrap here. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Talk to you tomorrow. when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.